The Bible says that as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, he sent two of them to get a donkey and a colt. This fulfilled the prophecy in Zechariah. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Jesus mounted the donkey and rode into Jerusalem. Many laid their cloaks on the road before him and brought palm branches to wave and celebrate. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. But not all who were there understood him. Some called him only a prophet, believing him wise but denying his divinity. Some raged and cheered for a revolution, hoping he would liberate them from their oppressors. To others, he was nothing more than an interruption. Even as children ran to him and shouted for joy, his enemies wove through the crowd, watching, seething, plotting. The range of reactions was great and wide. Celebration, worship, revolutions, deception, cynicism, condemnation, boredom, disinterest. But every single person had to confront one thing, who he was. Behold, your king is coming to you.
we are here to do just that this morning. Amen. Amen. Worship Christ, our risen and living King. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Those crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's sing it together.
Well, good morning, church. Good to see you all here this morning. Uh, First of all, I just want to say thank you to everyone who participated in yesterday's golf tournament. And uh, we were able to raise a substantial amount for our youth missions. So if you played or supported us by sponsoring a whole, we certainly do appreciate it. It was a chilly afternoon, but we had a great time. And I'm going to have to brag on our pastor just for a moment. He probably had the best drive out of everyone yesterday. It was on a par three, and he, when he, after he hit his shot, he walked up to the hole, and his ball was like five inches from the cup. He missed the hole in one by five inches. Now, that story is to be continued. I'll let him tell you how he arrived at that spot. <laughs> My team was handicapped because I played on it. But we, we had a great time nonetheless, so thank you to everyone who participated. Um, but we certainly want to welcome each and every one of you here this morning uh, to our worship services and especially our guests this morning. If you are visiting with us, would you just reach in front of you and grab a care card that's in the pew back and put that information on that card and give it to either uh, one of the, the staff people or you can drop it off in the foyer of the sanctuary here. We just like to have recollection of your visit and get back in touch with you. But thank you for being with us. Uh, We also have a place on that card for a prayer request. If anyone would like to simply just jot down something that they want prayed for, you can also give those to us and we'd definitely pray over those. Um, There are several announcements today. uh, uh, We start our collection for Annie Armstrong. Our Annie Armstrong offering goes 100% to support our North American missionaries. Lottie Moon, you know, is for our international missions, and Annie Armstrong is for our North American missionaries. And so we start that collection today, and there'll be a special time in the service later on this morning that we'll be able to come and participate in that. And then also in the 40th Sanctuary, if you haven't gotten one already, you can pick up your prayer guide for the week. Uh, to pray for our missionaries, and so we look forward to your involvement in that as well. Um, This week, uh, because of Easter and everything, we're not going to have any Wednesday night activities. All of our activities, well, our Monday Thursday service will be on Thursday in this room at 7 o'clock. So no Wednesday night activities, but Monday Thursday in this room at 7 o'clock. I know you will want to make your way back in here for that very special service. Um, Next Sunday, our Easter schedule is our sunrise service at 7 o'clock, and then immediately following that, we'll have a breakfast, and then after breakfast, we will have our regular schedule. Now, the breakfast is going to be super good. It's going to be eggs and grits and sausage and bacon and biscuits. It's going to be a wonderful breakfast. Uh, And this year, we're going to have tip jars available for everyone to... um, help out our adult mission teams this summer. We have lots of missionaries going out from our church. And because of the rising cost of fuel and airline tickets, we just want to offset some of that cost. So what you would pay for a good breakfast out somewhere, you could come and and be prepared to put money in the tip jar to help out our adult mission teams that will be on mission this summer. Uh, Family dedication is on May the 8th. And if you wish to participate in this special service, Uh, you've got to go through the class that is on May the 1st. 
Um, the form for this class is online and that form must be completed by April the 24th. If you have any questions about that, uh, please see Amy Alley. During the month of April, we are requesting church members and community group members to stop by the designated here, designated area in our foyer to update their in information that we have on you, uh, especially if some of that has changed. We definitely want to, to be made aware of that. And we would also like to update your picture. So uh, in the back corner of our foyer back here is the place where you do that. So if you haven't done that already, Please do that. We'll be doing this through the month of April. Uh, our ladies' ministry is sponsoring growth groups in, in uh, an effort to help grow in our relationship to the Lord. Um, this ministry will run from May to November, and they will meet twice a month. Um, there'll be a kickoff event on May the 9th at 7 p.m. in the core, and registration for this, the deadline is May the 1st, and the cost is $10. So uh, if, ladies, if you wish to participate in that, uh, see uh, Connie Davis, and she can answer some more questions about that for you. The ladies' tea event will also be May the 5th at 6.30 in the core, and the cost for that is $10, except if your age is 3 to 9, and that is $5. Uh, lastly, this morning, we are continuing to collect for um, the food roundup. Uh, there's collection bins in the foyer of the sanctuary here and down in the core. So thank you for your participation in that. So let's join our hearts together now as we go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you that we can come together as a family to worship you. Father, you are indeed worthy of our worship. And Lord, as we celebrate this week your goodness and your love and your kindness towards us. We're humbled. We're humbled by the fact that you walked a road that we could not. You bore the cross that we could not bear. And you died the death that we deserve. So Lord, we come to you and we thank you and praise you. We're humbled God, that you would give such a sacrifice for us so that we could have a relationship with you. Lord, we pray that uh, the songs that we sing, the words that we say and pray and preach this morning will honor and magnify the name of the Lord Jesus and make much of him. For without him, Lord, we are nothing. God, thank you, though, that when you looked upon us you look beyond our fault and you saw our need, a need for a Savior. And we thank you, Father, that we have that in Jesus. Lord, we pray that our minds would be captivated this morning, our hearts, our affections, our emotions, everything about us, all wrapped up to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you that we can gather in a place like this this morning where there's no persecution and we can worship you freely. Help us to never, ever take that for granted. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A lot of people think that the time of doing public evangelism has, is long past. And we, we recognize that's not something that's done regularly anymore. 
but we thought, well, why not? And that's actually how we started this church. There's about 14,000 Latinos in the region of Niagara, and the, realizing that there really isn't a sort of established Latino church that preached the gospel biblically. Um, because I come from a Latin American background, I felt led, I felt called by God to, to take this missional step. When we started church planting, one of the things that we wanted to help our church or the culture of our church be is that, that we have a really tight community. Latino culture is very family oriented, but there are a lot of people who don't have their immediate family here or their extended family here. Niagara is home to a large number of migrant workers who leave their families uh, at home. And so we've been meeting uh, at this place in a, in a barn, actually, where we would share the gospel with them. We would go into God's word, we would learn what the gospel is and what Christ is asking them to do with their lives. And then afterwards, there's a game of soccer because you can't have community without a game of soccer. In this season of church planting, it has been a journey where you walk kind of blindsided in a sense, but then you're not alone because we have the support of other people. When you give, what you're really doing is you're giving tools into people's hands to sow the seed of the gospel so that their lives may be changed. We become their family and they become part of ours. Amen. Two of your North American missionaries and now you're going to have a chance to support them as well as others as we sing we invite you to bring your annie armstrong uh, gifts and place them in the basket here at the foot of the cross let's stand together as we sing sing about our christ his saving power Christ is 
All God's people said, Amen. 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 Find Genesis 22 in, in your copy of the scripture today. Uh, Genesis 22. Uh, we are going to continue in our study on the life of Abraham. When I began this section, I indicated how much character studies mean to us because the way we see God dealing with the characters in the Bible. Uh, he deals the same way with us. The scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so there are enormous lessons that we learn for our lives uh, through looking at some of the, the saints in the Bible, even those in the Old Testament. And so we're going to read about uh, a testing of Abraham today, and we're going to look at the subject matter, the testing of our faith. And now, folks, there is a reason that I decided to go ahead and preach on this text today instead of using a traditional Palm Sunday text out of the New Testament. And some of you probably already know the reason why I'm going to go ahead and preach this text. Uh, for the rest of you, just hang on, stay awake, and wait to the end. And I think hopefully by the end it will become very clear to you why we are going to continue on uh, in, in this series that we've been in for a number of weeks now. Now, as you continue to find your place in your copy of God's Word, I do need to comment on what Kevin Knight said. Uh, I will have to admit humbly that it was an ugly, ugly, ugly shot. Uh, from the tee box, uh, 
it was a line drive going over a pond and it was such a line drive that like skipping rocks on a pond the ball skipped over the surface of the water hit the opposite side of the pond with such force it jumped up in the air on the green and rolled right up to the cup <laughs> so anyway hey it it worked out well it was ugly but it worked out well but uh, anyway I'll probably never do that again my whole life <laughs> would you stand for the reading of God's word please Genesis 22 uh, we'll read uh, uh, from verse 1 down through verse 19 uh, Genesis 22 sometime later God tested Abraham he said to him Abraham here I am he replied then God said take your son your only son whom you love Isaac and go to the region of Moriah Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh, or interpreted, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven, uh, a second time and said I swear by myself declares the Lord that because you have done this and have not withheld your son your only son I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba. 
And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Father, I pray that you might grant it through the power of your Holy Spirit. That our hearts and minds would be opened to your word. Lord, speak to us. Challenge us. Lord, we have several assurances here. Uh, One assurance certainly that we will be tested in life. But a greater assurance is that you will be with us. And you will see us through. And we are grateful for that. Father, I pray that you would speak to one that one today who may be going through a very difficult period in his or her life. That they would be encouraged through the words that we find here today. And Father, we are most grateful this day that though Abraham was called upon to spare his son, you did not spare yours. But the just died for the unjust that he might bring us to you. And for that, we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his book, A View from the Zoo, Gary Richmond tells about the birth of a giraffe. The first thing to emerge are the baby giraffe's front hooves and head. A few minutes later, the infant giraffe falls about 10 feet and lands on its back. Within seconds, he rolls to an upright position and all four legs are tucked up underneath his body. Then the mother giraffe positions herself directly over her newborn calf. She waits for a moment and then she does what seems to be the most unreasonable thing. She swings her leg in a long pendulum fashion and kicks her baby so hard that it is sent sprawling uh, head over heels. And then this process is repeated over and over again until the baby finally gets up on its wobbly legs. And then the mother again does a remarkable thing. Again, she kicks the baby hard enough that she sends it flying off of its legs. The baby gets up. She does this over and over and over again until the baby is able to quickly get up on all fours and this time they go running off together. Now researchers have determined there's a reason behind all this. You see in the wild it appears that lions and tigers and leopards and hyenas all enjoy the delicacy known as baby giraffe. And so while the mother seems like she's being unusually cruel and mean to her newborn, she's actually doing just the opposite. She's teaching her newborn calf to be able to quickly get up and run away from those who would be seeking to take its life. Folks, trials sometimes seem cruel. 
And sometimes they seem to knock us off of our feet. But you know, God is not cruel. He has a purpose. I want us to learn uh, some about this purpose as we go through trials from what we read here about Abraham in Genesis 22. We know that Abraham was enrolled in the school of faith when he was 75 years of age. And now he's well over 100. And we see that even at this advanced age, he is still having soul-searching experiences. And folks, this shows us that we are never too old to face new challenges. We are never too old to fight new battles and learn new truths. You know, when we stop learning, we stop growing. And when we stop growing, essentially we stop living. One German philosopher once said, the first 40 years of our lives provide the text and the next 30 years fill in the commentary and how true that is. Now we, we learn from Abraham how we are to face tests and trials that God sends our way. And the first thing I want you to notice with me today is the presence of testing. It was Norman Vincent Peale who said only people in cemeteries do not have trials and some of them are in deep trouble. I'm sure you know by now that life in general is filled with trials. A job loss, a financial crisis, the loss of a child. A dreaded doctor's report, a, a car accident that takes a precious loved one. I mean, we could go on and on. Life is dotted with trials. And that's how the Christian journey is as well. No matter how committed we are to the Lord Jesus, somewhere along the line, our commitment to Him is going to be tested. You know, Jesus in Luke chapter 10 sent 70 out to do ministry. But it was also a test. How would they respond early on to ministry? We read in the book of Acts about the early church. Immediately they were faced with persecution. And God used this persecution to scatter them out beyond Jerusalem so they would begin to fulfill the great commission. Even Jesus went through tests and trials. We're told that right after his baptism, the Spirit led him into the wilderness that he might be tempted by the devil. Now the devil did the tempting, but God engineered the opportunity. From God's standpoint of view, he was testing his son while the devil was tempting him. We know even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was tested. Obedience was on trial. Jesus had nothing but a cruel death ahead of him. And yet, what did he say? He said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was tested, and he was without sin in all of his tests. 
Well, here we come to Abraham. If ever a man was committed to God, I think Abraham was such a man. Abraham is referred to in Romans chapter 4 verse 11 as the father of the faithful. And Paul uses him all throughout that chapter as an example of what it means to walk by faith. And in walking by faith, I want you to notice that Abraham was tested. He went through trials. In spite of the fact that he had already displayed amazing faith, we're told he believed God and God credited unto him as righteousness. We saw that earlier. And even though he had that experience and God made that declaration of him, yet he's a man who was tested again. As one writer suggested, perhaps Abraham has gotten a a bit too comfortable with God. And you know, we can get like that, can't we, if we're not careful. We can get so comfortable in our faith that God might send a test or a trial our way in order to wake us up. We might have settled into some place in life that God does something To wake us up in a dramatic fashion. You know you might have just landed a dream job. It's a job maybe you've dreamed of all of your life. And it's finally yours. And yet there may be a growing satisfaction in your heart. And through that process God will call you to leave that job. And go in to a lifetime of missions. Don't kid yourself that things like that don't happen. They do all the time. Verse 1 tells us that Abraham was tested. Now if you're reading from the King James Version, it will say that Abraham was tempted. Because you see in 16, 11, uh, it meant to test or prove a person to see how they would act. That's what the word tempted meant back then. But we need to understand, folks, there is a difference between testing and tempting. Scripture is very clear on the fact that God does not tempt us. He tests us. He doesn't tempt us. James says in James 1.13, let no one say... When he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God tests us. He doesn't tempt us. Now, supposedly life has just been sort of rocking along pretty smoothly for Abraham for quite some time now. And as you read chapters 20 and 21, you sort of get the impression that God's not spoken to Abraham for quite some time. Isaac's been born. He's grown up. Perhaps he's a young man by now, and God has been pretty well silent in Abraham's life. And then in verse 1 of chapter 22, God speaks again to Abraham. And I want you to notice how Abraham answers. Here am I. You know, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? It carries with it the idea of availability. Lord, here I am. I'm ready to do whatever you're calling me to do next. That's the pattern we've seen in Abraham's life. And that still seems to be his heartbeat. God, here I am. I'm ready for that next assignment. 
Here's a man who appears to be totally yielded to God. And yet, is he? Well, that's what we're going to find out. He's been yielded in the past, but is he ready to be yielded in the present with that which has become most precious to him? Some principles I want to give you under this point. Principle number one, faith will be tested. It will often be tested when God is about to move once again in our lives in a new way. And folks, again, we need to see that this is not unusual at all. It's not strange. It's perfectly normal. Sometimes people will begin to question their faith. Why am I going through this? Uh, Does God love me? Is there something wrong with me? And some people might even ask, hey, I'm going through a test. Am I even saved? People begin wondering all sorts of things. But what we need to understand, it's perfectly normal for the Christian life. You know, sometimes God tests us just in a similar way that he disciplines us. And the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12 that if you're without discipline, it's because you're an illegitimate child. If you're a legitimate child of God, you're going to be disciplined just as a father disciplines his children. Well, likewise, if we're legitimate children, we're going to be tested God is going to put us through trials the Bible says he does this we live in a fallen world and there's many reasons that God does this but again it's normal it's the normal Christian life Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, in this you greatly rejoice. He's just been talking about the salvation that we have. He goes on to say though, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God will send trials and tests our way to purify our faith, to grow us. In the book of Job, God allowed Satan to take everything away from Job. To prove a point, Satan accused Job of being faithful to God simply because God had been good to Job. Satan said, God, the only reason Job loves you is because you've blessed him. You've given him so much and you put a hedge around his life. And so God, wanting to show Job's righteousness, said, Okay, devil, you can take everything away from him and you're going to see that you're wrong because he'll still love me. Well, Satan did take everything, his home and his children, and still Job praised God. And then Satan came along and said once again, Okay, Job might have passed the first test, but if you, take his, if you touch his health, You know, touch his body and and take his health away, he's going to curse you. And so God allowed Satan to take away Job's health, but still Job praised God. God allowed Job to be stripped of his health and his wealth to prove a point to Satan. Namely, that Job was a righteous man regardless of Job's circumstances. 
Now I want you to look at Abraham's test. Look again at verse 2. It's stated here plainly. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Folks, not only will, be fa- not only will faith be tested, but another principle I want you to see. The test of faith change according to the need of what God wishes you to learn. Abraham went through all sorts of tests and all of them had different nuances to them. And and it may surprise you to learn that, that Abraham did not pass all of his tests. And we've seen some of that. Initially, Abraham was called on to leave behind his native land and his family. God was going to build a new nation through him. And so he was called upon to sever ties with his past. This is going to be a test to to see if he's willing to lay everything on the line concerning his future. So you see how tests are different, how they fit together? One popular writer with lay people uh, calls this the family test. Next came the famine test. You know, the family test was first, will Abraham leave behind his father's land and and his father's uh, family ties? Will he leave behind that security? And then the famine test. There was a famine in the land, so what did Abraham and Sarah do? They ran down to Egypt. Abraham failed that test. He went to a whole new land, but he could not seem to trust God to provide for his needs in that new land. And so he fled to Egypt. Now folks, sometimes in the Bible, people were commanded to go down to Egypt. Like when Joseph was instructed to take Mary and the baby Jesus down there. But at other times in the, in, in the Bible, Egypt was a symbol of the world. And God told his people that they weren't to trust in the things of the world. They weren't to trust in things like horses or chariots or in Egypt. Uh, but they were to put their trust in him. Without any indication of God telling him to do so, Abraham runs down to Egypt. And while in Egypt, he lies about Sarah. And so again, he fails that test. Then comes the fellowship test. He and Lot are going to part company with one another. He graciously allows Lot to take the best of the land. Then there's the fight test. He has to go and fight those kings from the east to get Lot back. Then there's the fortune test. The king of Sodom wants to make him rich. And he turns that down. So he passed that test. He failed the fatherhood test when he and Sarah took matters into their own hands. And he slept with Hagar and Ishmael was born. He passed the farewell test when it was time to send Ishmael away. I'm sure his heart was broken, but he did so anyway. All of those tests had to do with different nuances of character that God was trying to build in Abraham. You see, folks, it wasn't an overnight thing. All of these tests went over years and years in his life. But now's going to be the supreme test of all. 
Abraham is being called upon here to sacrifice the son of promise. Isaac. Earlier he was called upon to cut ties with his past. And now he's called upon to see if he's willing at least to cut ties with his future. And this is a classic case whereas, wherein faith doesn't always seem rational. Because you see, every promise that God has given to Abraham is wrapped up in Isaac. And now God is saying, sacrifice Isaac. You know, sometimes faith will call us to do things that seems beyond human explanation but what I want you to see is each test was very specific and it was very targeted with whatever it was that God wanted Abraham to learn now let me mention just in passing that the new atheists that's what that's a group now a new group of atheists the new atheists represented by by people like Richard Dawkins, for example, they call this text right here an example of divine child abuse. It, it's, it's a text they use in their misguided crusade against God. This text is also one of the texts that Larry King uh, would always bring up Larry King live that you know Larry King would always not always but sometimes bring this text up as, as a reason why he couldn't become a believer you see we dare not read our times today back into this text what we fail to see is that many of the cultures around Abraham the pagan cultures practiced child sacrifice in the Canaanite worldview the God who produced fertility was also entitled to demand a portion of that which he had given ancient texts from places like Carthage in North Africa described the ritual of child sacrifice as a means of even ensuring future fertility for a community so folks that's the type of world that Abraham is living in and so what sounds so strange to us to Abraham's pagan neighbors would have been seen as being very natural I suppose God is testing Abraham to see if Abraham will obey him as much as some of these pagan unbelievers will obey their false gods. And I want you to notice what Abraham does. He obeys. Look at verse 3. In verse 3, uh, we're told that early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Again, what's Abraham's response? Availability, submissiveness, obedience, yieldedness. But you know what? I imagine that was quite a long night for Abraham as he thought about all this. 
Well, second main thing I want you to see. The purpose of testing. Why does God test us? Is it because he enjoys seeing us suffer and squirm? Is God mean? Does God delight to try to make your life and my life just as miserable as possible? Now, folks, if that's your view of God, the entire witness of Scripture is against you. In fact, Paul in Romans 5 says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, 31, If God be for us, which he is, which has been demonstrated on the pages of Scripture, if God be for us, who can be against us? We serve a God who is for us, who loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He's not testing us to hurt us or make our lives miserable, so why does he test us? I want to give you a couple of principles here. Number one, to reveal certain things to us. You know, it may be to humble us. It may be that God's wanting to show us something about ourselves and get rid of some character flaws. You know, we might feel pretty good about ourselves. We might feel as though, hey, we're sold out to Jesus. We might have the feeling, Lord, I can handle anything you throw at me. Lord, I just, just let me at the world. I can do it. Lord, you can count on me. And you know what? We can have some spiritual arrogance, can't we? God may send us a test to humble us. You know who I think of? Simon Peter. Lord, though everybody else denies you, I won't deny you. And Jesus said, Peter, I'm here to tell you, you're going to deny me not just once or twice. You're going to deny me three times. And that's what happened. A second principle, he tests us that we might grow. Each trial is meant to teach a lesson. A trial is not to be a trial in and of itself. If you're going through a trial in your faith, there is a reason God has in it. You know, it's not like the old joke. The old joke, why, why does the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? No, we don't go through a test just to go through a test. We go through a test for a reason. Because God is wanting to reveal something to us. He's wanting to teach us something. And once we get the point, once we get the lesson, we grow. James 1 says he uses these things to make us more mature and complete and so that our lives will bear more fruit. If you will stop and think about every test or trial that God has ever taken you through, if you'll take inventory on those, I think you would have to confess that you learned something new going through that that you would not have learned otherwise. And you came out the other side of it stronger than you were before and with a greater hope than you had before. Because again, it seems like we just don't grow that much if we stay in a position of comfort all the time. You know, I think about Israel in the book of Judges. Uh, 
they got comfortable and complacent and they drifted into a life of sin as a nation. And then God would bring hardship upon them. He would bring trials upon them. They would cry out to God after years and years of living in misery. God would send them a new judge who would deliver them. And then, you know, they'd stay on track with God for a while. Then they would get comfortable again. Then they'd get complacent. And the same cycle would repeat over and over again. So God sends a trial along and if we respond in faith we emerge stronger. Now through this test here, how did Abraham grow? He became totally and completely surrendered to God. Now I don't know what had been going on in Abraham's life but it's likely that perhaps he didn't have the dependence on God that he had once had. But here was an opportunity once again for Abraham to stake everything on the trustworthiness of God. And that's exactly what Abraham did. I want you to see just how much Abraham trusted God. In verse 5, notice what he says here. We will go, and then he says what? We will come back. And, and then look at, at uh, verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. You know what? The writer of Hebrews goes so far as to tell us that Abraham even knew if God did have him go through with the sacrifice of Isaac, that God was able to raise the dead. That Abraham had that faith. A third principle. He tests us to get us totally surrendered. This is what happened with Abraham and God may do the same with you. God may tear down every confidence that you have until you learn that he is your only confidence. What's most precious to you in your life? If it's not God, God may ask you to get rid of it. Or God may challenge you in some way in, in that area. Why? Because he knows if things become idols in our lives, any idol will be nothing more than a broken cistern that cannot hold water and cannot satisfy us in the long run. Who knows, maybe Abraham has begun to even think too highly of his son Isaac. Maybe as Isaac's been growing up, you know, Coming in Abraham's old age the way Isaac did, maybe Isaac has become Abraham's whole world. I mean, you can see how that could happen. Maybe Abraham's begun to give Isaac the attention that only God deserves. And so again, here's a test to get Abraham totally surrendered. And we also see still another principle. God will test us for the purpose of teaching us who he is. Abraham trusted God to provide for him and that's exactly what God did. Verse 13 says that Abraham looked up in a thicket and he saw a ram and Abraham renamed that place Jehovah Jireh which means God provides. But you see it took this test to reveal that to Abraham. 
When Abraham was willing to obey God in the test and do exactly what God had said, this is when Abraham truly learned that God is the God who provides. When he had the knife in the air, he learned this about God. Folks, some people want to learn about God from a distance. And you know, you can't learn about God from a distance. You can learn some things about Him, but you can't really get to know Him from a distance. You've got to go through life experiences. It's like the Apostle Paul. Paul had that thorn in the flesh. He had to go through that. He didn't learn about God's sufficiency, the sufficiency of God's grace, by God taking that thorn away from him. He learned about God's grace and God's sufficiency by God leaving that thorn in the flesh. Where does God provide our needs? In the place of his assignment. Abraham was at the right place where God told him to be, so God met the need. When does God provide our needs? Just when we have the need. Sometimes it appears that God waits to the very last minute, but God's timing is always perfect. How does God provide? In ways that are often quite natural stay with me here a moment God didn't send an angel with a sacrifice sometimes you have a need in your life and God sends someone at the right time with the answer and if you don't step back and look at what you've been praying about you might even not even recognize that God's answered your prayer my point is it may seem so natural to somebody else looking at your situation who doesn't know what you've experienced uh, that they might not even know like, you know like you've come to learn that it was God. They might think it was just something natural happening. But you look back on it again because you know how you were praying. You know it was God. He allowed a ram to get caught in a bush at a time when Abraham needed it. And in a place where Abraham could put his hands on it. And Abraham needed just one lamb. God didn't send more than was needed. He certainly didn't give less, but he didn't give more. And why does God provide? God provides for his glory and his glory alone. Folks, we cannot run from trials. The world is not big enough. But we can handle trials by faith. Maybe you're in a trial today. What is it God's trying to show you? Again, I want to emphasize a trial is a teachable moment. Don't lose the moment. Don't waste a good trial. God might have to send another one to try to teach you the same thing. Is God trying to pry something out of your hand? If he's trying to pry something out of your hand, it's only so that he can put something better into your hand. Folks, what's at stake? Everything's at stake. Think about Abraham. 
What did Abraham get from passing his test? He got his son back. And he got whole new assurances from God. He learned something about God that even caused him to give God a new name. He came away from this with a whole renewed love for God. Amazing. Now, fast forward. Look at the place where Abraham was instructed to sacrifice Isaac. In the region of where? Moriah, Mount Moriah. In that place, God stopped him and provided a ram instead. Now, what does the Bible say about Jesus? He is the Lamb of God. And where was Mount Moriah? If you read 2 Chronicles 3.1, the writer of Chronicles says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem to the shouts of Hosanna. But by the end of the week, they're shouting, crucify him. Folks, Isaac was spared. God had Abraham spare Isaac. God did not spare his own son. Isaac was not sacrificed at Mount Moriah. But Jesus, the Son of God, was. In that same place, God showed himself to be Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Because there at Calvary's cross, he provided the sacrifice that would deal with sin once and for all. He put his own son to death and raised him from the dead so that in him we might have the forgiveness of sin and we too might have resurrection life through him. What God did not have Abraham go through with at Mount Moriah, God himself did go through with. And why did he do so? He did so for you and for me. Is there somebody here that needs to come to Christ? When you see how the Bible, how it all fits together. And God did this for you. That in him and through him you might have life. You might have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. The just died for the unjust that he might bring you. To God. Am I speaking to somebody here today on this Palm Sunday? You need to come to Christ. He's the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for you. And you need to come to Him. I could be speaking to somebody else here today. You're, you know you're a believer. You've come to Christ. You're going through trials. And maybe you've been getting bitter about it. Maybe you don't understand it. And maybe today you just need to say, God, what is it that you're trying to teach me through this? I've been resisting. I've been fighting against your purposes. But God, what is it that you're trying to show me through this? God, help me to be patient. Help me to wait upon you. And give me a teachable spirit.
because God's plan, God's purpose is to bring you out the other side of that stronger and more mature and complete than you are right now. God's plans are perfect. Let's pray together. Father, we do acknowledge that your plans are indeed perfect. There is no shortcoming in what you do. And we're so grateful for that. Your wisdom is perfect. God, you knew all along what you were planning to do with Abraham. You were testing him to see where his heart was. And Lord, it may be that you're treating somebody here today in the same fashion with the trial they're going through. Open their eyes. Lord, give them a humble heart and a humble spirit that they might be teachable. And God, for that one today who needs to come to Christ, the perfect Lamb of God who died for the sin of the world, Lord, you did not withhold your hand from Jesus being put to death. And I pray for that one who needs to come to Christ today. Trusting in his death, burial, and resurrection to cover their sins and give them eternal life. That they would come to you today without any further delay. And we make this our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?